Well, thanks for coming out. Thanks for coming to uh, this breakfast. And if nothing else, I just wanted to come in and say thanks. Um, you know, it's so great to hear that so many women are gathering to gather around God's Word and think about motherhood, think about femininity, think about what that looks like in the world. And I think you guys, to be honest, have it harder than the men. Because men can be a jerk. And the world will often still applaud. The ladies can try and be feminine and the world looks on with pity. It's hard. You guys are swimming um, against the stream, against the tide of what the world is saying is feminine. Um, and we're just really proud of you as a team. I want to do want to thank Emma and Meg for the way they lead Titus too. Mm-hmm. They lead it super well. You know, when we started this ministry a few years ago, the whole premise was what Paul is saying to Titus. Titus is a pastor. And he's saying, all right, listen, what you need to do is find some older women, more mature women that can really pass on to the next lot of women what it means to really pursue the Lord, what it means to be godly, what it means to look like at home, what it looks like in marriage, what it looks like um, as a mum, but also just what it looks like in life. It, 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 they aren't just a period, they aren't just a series of six things okay do this and then oh wonderful femininity it's talking about all of life how do you oversee being a woman for the glory of the lord and his basic premise to titus is you ain't going to do that too well by yourself because you're a bloke so you're going to need to find women to help you do that and i think emma and meg are doing a, a wonderful job of leading this ministry obviously ultimately we still oversee it as pastors it's not actually going to be emma standing before god about what goes on here it's going to be me so I still seek to help them as best I can as a pastoral team. But nonetheless, we do delegate that responsibility for them to fan into flame what they're doing in your lives. And, and you guys are doing a wonderful job. And as mums, as I look on, as mums and ladies, and I think you're doing a wonderful job of representing the scriptures and representing the Savior and what you're giving yourself to. And so if you're, you're here and you are a mum, just well done. Keep going. Keep doing it. And if you're here today and you're not a mum, you have my deepest respect for being here. Your involvement here screams family. It screams that you want to be involved with other people. It screams that you're bothered about people. So thank you. I think you are some of the heroes of Sovereign Grace. Come into things like this when you haven't got children so that you can learn how to best support people with children. I think that's to be wonderfully commended. And if true greatness is serving others, you are truly great and the way you live your lives. And also for all of you, and particularly those that are married, thank you for supporting your men. You know, we have the privilege of preaching to them um, at different events like this. And you know, us guys, we can appear confident, but most of the time we haven't got a clue what we're doing basically. And we're having a go. And most guys are more insecure than they let on, which is sometimes what they come across very confident because actually they're not quite sure what they're going to be doing. Thank you for supporting them. Thank you for fanning to flame what God is calling them to do in their lives and when i suggested to emma and that maybe i could come in today and share with you something that i think the lord's put on my heart for you and she was pleased and keen which blessed me and so why don't we open up god's word and turn to luke luke chapter 8. i've called this message god overall and it comes from a very familiar passage one that you're going to be very aware of the moment where jesus calms the storm And it's a story that I do think speaks to mothers more than necessarily we might at first 
realize. Luke chapter 8, we're going to read from verse 22 to the end of verse 25. This is the word of the Lord. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for its clarity, its necessity, its sufficiency. And Lord, I do pray that you would bless these ladies this morning. Lord, on this Saturday morning as the weekend begins, I pray that you would open their eyes afresh to behold the wonders of your word. Lord, speak to their hearts. Do what only you can do through the Spirit. Open their eyes to the reality of where you are in their life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you are probably already wondering what on earth, as Jesus calms the storm, got to do with being a mum. I mean, what exactly is a story of a small group of men that get into a boat at the request of Jesus, then start to freak out because they're going to die? They wake up Jesus and he says, oh, why didn't you trust me? And then he stills the storm. What exactly has that got to do with what it really looks like to be a mum? And yet I think when you pause on this text and think about it some more, you realize that in all honesty, I think this is more of a correlation to the role of motherhood than you first think. See, I've had the privilege of walking alongside our beautiful mother and Emma for the last 16 years. She was born in May of 2002, and since then we have been parents. And what I've discovered is it isn't always easy. Still the same with my sister. She had three kids, and so watching her, her close and personal sister-in-laws. Um, as a pastor, we interact with a lot of mums all the time. And everybody thinks they're a unique mum. And then what you discover is the same questions all the time. <laughs> being a mum, I think in all reality, there are many joys with being a mum. There's some great things in it. Mother's Day, classic. Getting the same card five times. It's beautiful. <laughs> you know, Unwrapping the gift. Oh, look, it's a cool box. Yes, I know. Isn't it delightful? Let's look at the next gift. Oh, it's an identical cool box. You know, those are the those are privileged moments of what it means to be a mum. Having your kid collect you, having your kid, no matter what age they are, telling them they love that they love you. And there are many moments of what it means to be a mum. Having watched mums over many years, where you realise it is without doubt a great privilege and a joy, and it should be. Children are a gift from the Lord, and yet. There are many things about being a mom that contain storms within it, isn't there? Many moments where you can feel tossed around by powerful waves, waves of exhaustion, of I can't last another day, waves of guilt as you start to consider I suck at motherhood, I'm the worst mother in the world, waves of loneliness as yet another day is spent in the house by yourself with this kid, waves of spiritual dryness, as you've lacked spending time with the Lord. Waves of futility is it's like Groundhog Day because the next day is exactly the same as this day and the next day after that is exactly the same as this day and it just goes on and on and on. 
There are many things about being a mom that I think are very similar to be in a storm. And at times, I think for many moms, they wonder then if their boat is going to make it at all. Or if indeed they're just going to sink and drown under the demands and challenges of what it really means to be a mom. I mean, just listen to the following account. This account was written 45 years ago by a mom who has three small children. But see if you can't relate to her. The day Billy took his first steps, our whole life changed. Now he climbs stairs and teeters at the top with one foot poised in midair. Now when his older brother and sister can play Candyland, he can stand in the middle of the game board throwing cards in the air. He pulls ingredients off shelves. He makes Cheerio mountains and pours olive oil on his head. He wakes up shouting at 5.30 a.m. ready to commence his endless investigation of our decimated house. He goes to bed at 8.30 p.m. and Steve and I then follow soon after. We drop into bed at night with heavy sighs. Three children is a lot says Steve. I've been there. I'd always wanted three children and maybe more. Of course, I can't imagine life without any one of them. It's just that right now, life around here is so grueling. I have to make advance arrangements just to step in the bathroom. <laughs> I lie awake projecting into our future. In two years, Billy will be at the age that Charlie is now, almost three, an age that seems so independent and thrillingly mature by comparison to now. Some days I murmur to Steve, we will have a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and a nine-year-old. Someday they will be five, seven, and eleven, six, eight, and twelve. I spin the different combinations in my head like a gambler dreaming of the perfect hand. <laughs> I called up a friend who has a child just a few months older than Billy. I dialed twice because the first time my son pulls off my glasses. As we talk, he sings into the receiver, which is then wet because he licked it. <laughs> he grabs my coffee, points at the record player demanding music, and then gets himself tangled up in the extra-long telephone cord. How long does this stage last? I asked her. When does this get easier? Search me, she says. I'm still waiting, too. <laughs> you know, the reality of the indications, the descriptions there have changed over years. We no longer have telephone cords that are long. Don't have cords at all. But what that mom is describing, can you relate to her? Because I think many mums certainly can as is true for all seasons of lives there's joyful things in it and there's hard things in it and there are the hard things attached to the call of motherhood which is on your life there is a unique set of challenges and difficulties that so often come with waves waves of exhaustion waves of loneliness waves of futility waves of spiritual dryness and waves of guilt well it's my desire then to help you see what i think this text is really all about because there's one thing I want you to see this morning. There's one thing that I want to encourage you as mothers. And it's simply this. The mothers, the Lord himself is in your boat. Whatever the season that you're going through in your life, whether it be a great season or whether it be a stormy season, the reality of scripture all the way through is when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that means he is in our boat. Whatever's going on, whatever those waves that are coming at you, whatever those moments of futility where you wonder, am I going to drown? The Lord's here to tell you, you're not going to drown because I'm in your boat. You see, contrary to common cultural perspective, children are a gift from the Lord. They are. Our culture is so readily not talking about that anymore. That's why abortion rates go through the roof. 
I mean, I was on Babylon B just the other week, and sometimes you just see little headlines. It's, it's um, really, it's actually a Christian website, but it's taken the mick out of different things at different times. And sometimes it does it really well. It's interesting to see with Harry and Meghan, the royals now pregnant, and everybody's saying, oh, congratulations, you're a mum, you're a dad. But it, if you spoke to somebody who wants to have an abortion, you'd say, oh, congratulations, it's a small clump of cells forming in your body. Mm. Our culture is saying two different things depending on what it wants to say. Mm. But it struggles to perceive and realize that children, from the moment of inception, they're a gift from the Lord. Mm. They're preparing us and preparing to come out and be children. So whether your children are planned or <coughs> unplanned, the truth is God got you into the boat. They're a gift from him. It wasn't just you and your husband having a great night and then, whoa, look what happened. No. By the grace of God and for the glory of God, that child has been knitted together in your womb and has been given a soul to ultimately follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Children are a gift from the Lord, whether they be planned or unplanned. God, by his grace, got you into the boat and in all reality, he's still with you today. Well, why is he in your boat? And what is he doing in your boat? And there's three things I want to encourage you in then as you consider the gift of motherhood. Number one, the Lord is ever present in your boat to uphold you. He's with you to uphold you. He's not just there to watch and go, oh, nice one, how you going? He's not a cheerleader. He's there to actually uphold you. I mean, look again at the verses. It says, one day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. Who initiated this whole trip knowing everything that was going to happen? God. Jesus did. He's the one that's saying to them, all right, guys, let's get in the boat. Jesus was omniscient. He knew full well a storm was coming. But he's saying to them, nonetheless, hey, guys, let's get in the boat. Let's go across to the other side. Just like he's done with you as a mom. He initiated the gift of motherhood in your life. It's all designed by him, knowing oh, there's going to be stormy on the way. There's going to be challenge. To the next verse. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. You know, one of the things I like to watch on TV is, is uh, you know, like the deepest, deadliest catch and stuff like that. Just these fishermen that are burly that you think, oh my, if I ever met them, they'd just break me like a twig. You know, fishermen uh, aren't like these sort of, they're not feminine, girly boys at all. You know, they are rugged, big blokes that never cry about anything. And they just work around the clock to collect fish. But it appears that right now these fishermen are wetting themselves. So this storm isn't just like a few waves and, oh, it might knock me over. It is all going horribly wrong. They think they are going to die. And Jesus, meantime, Mark tells us, he's got his head on a cushion. He's having the time of his life. He's snoring away, no dramas. He feels totally at peace. And they are like, what on earth is going on? We are about to die, and this dude is sleeping. We are going to be ended right here, right now. Next verse. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was calm. I would have loved to have been there. I would have loved just to have seen that. What does it look like for a storm to go from raging seas to in a moment calm? Peace. Glassy seas. No waves anymore. The boat's probably in rags and tatters. It's all going horribly wrong. The look on these men's faces is probably like, I've just stared death in the face. But right now, there's just calm because the Savior's awoke and he has stilled the storm. 
Now, the thing that I think we're meant to see in that text is not only that it is God that initiates these storms in our lives, but look who's in control of them all. It's Him. Behold the greatness of God in this text. I mean, we've been studying Exodus as a church, and you spend time with God at the burning bush, the great I Am. I am who I am. We see him in his power, his majesty, his sovereignty and splendor. Jesus Christ was the burning bush incarnate. He was, by the grace of God, God himself. And it's God himself who's now with these dudes in the boat. And look at what he does. He calls out to the waves and in a moment it stops. And they're just the outer fringes of his works. I mean, we understand in God's word, that he's the lo- he alone is the one who can mark off the heavens with the span of his hand. He alone is the one who can weigh the dust of the earth on the scales. He alone is the one who marks off the heavens. And it says in Isaiah 40 that he created the stars, he named the stars, and he sustains the stars. It's beautiful. I mean, I don't know how you found it, but naming kids, coming up with four, three names, was really difficult. Well, there are 100 billion stars and 100 billion galaxies, but God names each and every one of them, knows exactly where they are and sustains them, having created them so that not one is missing. Such is his profound, sovereign, glorious care. He's the one who positioned the sun in its place so that you wouldn't burn to death in the summer or freeze to death in the winter. You know, if you study, um, if you study astronomy and all those different things, if you study space, if God had put even half a degree different between us and the sun, we would have been burnt up or frozen to death. But it's exactly in the right place. It's exactly in the right place. So that the temperature scale of what we have here, humans can cope in and live in. It's staggering to what he does. Consider then your own bodies. You were fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible tells us. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. And when you look at your bodies, it is amazing to consider how did all that happen? It's just staggering. He's the one then who by his grace and for his glory says to the tides this far and no further, says to the wind to stop, says to the sun to remain beating down and says to the snow go now and not before. He's the one who ultimately, it says in God's word, sends each lightning bolt on its way. It's so cool. But just the other week, that great storm, and you stand outside seeing the power of God, and you realize you control this. Every single element in this is ultimately answerable for you. The Lord, your Lord, is a truly incredible God, isn't he? And what we're learning right here is he is in your boat. Why? To uphold you. He's ever-present to uphold you. It's what we see emphasized in Scripture all the time. Hebrews 13, verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Who is the I there? It's everybody we've just discussed. It's the great I am. The King of kings and Lord of lords says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's why we read in Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Matthew 28, verse 20. And behold... Jesus himself, behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. What Jesus is trying to help us see again and again and again is, I ain't going to leave you in my majesty and my power and sovereignty and splendor. I ain't leaving you. That doesn't mean you're not going to go through storms. Storms are a part of life. But as for me, I'm always in your boat. I'm always there to uphold you. Always there to help you. Always there to 
aid you. And mothers, I want to encourage you as you go through storms, how encouraging it is to know that he's ever present in your boat to uphold you, don't you think? That's not the only reason he's there. Number two, the Lord is ever present in your boat to strengthen you. To strengthen your soul. And that can be so easily missed in this story. See, as Jesus rebukes the storm, in verse 25, he then turns to his disciples and he asks one specific question. What is it? He said to them, where is your faith? You know, that can appear a little harsh. We were about to die. What do you mean, where is our faith? We thought we were going to die. We thought we were dead. We thought we were going to be overthrown and I was going to be drowned and my life had come to an end. What do you mean, where is your faith? But as you come away from this text and then take a second look, you realize, you realize that in all honesty, this question is very specifically placed in what can only be termed as a divine setup. Because who sent them to the storm? God. See, that question, then this divine setup is created by the Lord, not so that a moment can be formed in time where he can awake from his sleep and then almost slag him off saying, oh, you jerks, where's your faith? No, that's not the point. But he has divinely set it up before him so that these individuals, these disciples in this moment can be helped and strengthened in their faith time's coming when he's not going to be directly seen in their boat but he wants them to know I'm always with you I'm always here to call on where is your faith it's like a father to a child he's trying to strengthen their, strengthen who they are help them seeing I, I'm always with you it's not a moment where he's looking to point the finger it's a moment where he's seeking to equip them and educate and strengthen their faith in the midst of what they're walking through I mean think about what the disciples have already been through with Jesus already. Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit. And you saw that. Imagine you actually saw that. You saw Jesus at the front of a thing like this. You know, somebody starts manifesting an evil spirit. And he just says, whoa, 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 stop. In the name of Jesus, get out. And this demon flees and the guy's in the right mind. You think, well, that's pretty spooky. That's pretty powerful. And then you've just spent months with Jesus. And he has been healing people all the time. So you've seen him heal, not only a man with an unclean spirit, but you've seen him healing the crowds. You've seen him healing a leper, a guy that is unclean, that is outside the camp. And yet now he's back in the camp and he's completely clean. His skin is completely well. You've seen him clean. You've seen him um, heal a paralytic, a guy who couldn't walk, but then rolled up his mat and put it under his arm and actually walked out. These things would live with you somewhat, would they not? They've seen a man with a withered hand be completely healed, a hand that wasn't even working, but as Jesus touched him, it then grew and made completely whole. These disciples have seen that. And so as God, through Jesus, leads them into the storm, the point is they should have known, well, I'm sure we're going to be okay. Nobody panic, sure, let's wake him up, let's let him know. But we have nothing to fear, whereas they were angry, they were irritated. What is going on here? They lacked all faith. They should have known better. And I think sometime as parents, we should know better too. When you look at the God of the Bible, all these disciples knew at this point was just a few things that had happened. 
But as you look at the God of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, all this is a disclosure to help us see, this is who I am. This is who I am, and I am with you. And when you look back on your own life, let me ask you, has God ever let you down? That doesn't mean there aren't storms and difficulties, but ultimately, has He ever let you down? Has He ever left you? Has He ever avoided you? Has He never not answered His promises exactly like He said He would? See, God gets us into the boat even though He knows that storms are coming. But He allows them by His grace and for His glory in part to strengthen your faith. To help you rely on Him. To help you look to Him. That's why as a mom, when trouble comes, when it doesn't say, you know, oh, the storms are coming. Okay, no worries. Get on Google. No, that ain't going to help you. Okay, well, the storms are coming. Phone a friend. Maybe. That's not what it's saying here, either. The storms are coming. Trust me. It is hard, but trust me. Kent Hughes says it this way. He says, this is a vital principle of spiritual life. Without difficulties, without trials, without stress and even failures, we would never grow to be what we should become. Storms then, listen, storms then are part of the process of spiritual growth. They are. See, in the midst of being a parent and parenting our kids and discipling our kids, unless it's just our family, there are many storms attached to that, are there not? Many moments where you wonder, Oh my goodness, are we going to drown in the midst of this? But the truth is, as biblically defined, those very same storms that you're going through with your children, God is parenting and discipling you in them. He's trying to help you see something. And the main thing that he's trying to help you see is, listen, I am with you and you can trust me. I am the great I am, and I am in your boat. He's seeking to strengthen our faith so that as the years go on, we mature and don't just find ourselves panicked every time something happens. But learn, even in the midst of the storm, of you know what? This is hard, but I know it's going to be okay because God is faithful, God is good. He's with me. I've seen Him time and time and time and time again come through for me. And so right now, then I'm going to be still and know that he is God. Would you pray for me? Would you help me in the midst of that? But I'm determined to stand on God's word and be still and know that he's God. You see, as mothers, I want to encourage you then to seize these storms as God-given opportunities that they are to exercise and strengthen your faith. So in the midst of the storm, then stand firm on the promises of God's word. Refuse to give in to fear and unbelief and worry and anxiety, but stand firm on the clear promises of Scripture. Clear promises that the Lord truly is with you in an ever-present way, that He will never leave you nor forsake you, that He will always be there to help you and uphold you, that He will never let you be tempted beyond which you can handle. Is that not good news? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know, sometimes we read that and we think, oh, so nothing ever really difficult is going to happen to me. No. No, it doesn't say that. 
It actually says whatever happens to you, he will give you a way of escape to endure it. What is that way of escape? Jesus. That I'll be faithful for you. That my grace will be sufficient for you. That I will hold you. That I will have you. Nothing will happen in your life that will overtake you to the point where you won't be able to see me and know me and understand that I'm your God and I'm with you. God is not only ever present in our boat to uphold us, he's there to strengthen our faith. He's not just working on your circumstances, he's working on your soul. Something far greater than actually even your circumstances. And then finally, number three, the Lord is ever present in your boat to justify you. You know, the gospel is truly an incredible source of deep and irrevocable joy, isn't it? The gospel is an incredible thing. To know that you're forgiven of your sin, that you've been redeemed of your sin, you've been reconciled to God, that you've been adopted into the family of God, that heaven is without doubt your home. The gospel is an incredible thing. And to know that Jesus has done it all is staggering. And yet we are all tempted in our minds, man and woman alike, to forget that. To move on from the gospel. And when we move on from the gospel, a number of things happen. And two primary things that happen are legalism and condemnation. Legalism is the temptation to self-atone. It's the temptation to smuggle our own works into a salvation that is all of grace. So instead of Jesus alone being enough, we think, well, it's Jesus plus my Bible reading, Jesus plus my prayer, Jesus plus going to church, and all those things make me acceptable to God. We think of Pharisees as legalists. There's a legalist in all our hearts. And usually we know it not when we're actually doing those things. We usually know it when we're not doing those things and we assume God must find us unacceptable. That's legalism. And usually what comes with legalism is condemnation. As you start to think, my life is terrible. I'm a shocker. I am a shocking Christian. And it's my experience and my personal belief and wonder that I think mothers are particularly susceptible in the midst of mothering to legalism and condemnation. Here's the way it goes. You have a baby and you've studied about being a mum for two years prior to that baby arriving. You are all set. You're all ready to go. You've studied people in the church and you have discovered all the things that you are definitely not going to do. <laughs> you see what mothers are doing around the place and you're like, I'm not going to be that type of mum. That's not what I'm going to be doing. This kid is going to have my attention. I will never use an angry word towards them. And it goes well for about three to four days. <laughs> but then a few days in, you realize, man, this is so hard. And maybe I don't feel towards this kid how I thought I'd be. And they just won't stop crying. And then you bring them home. And you wonder, where is the instruction book with this child? Suddenly there's a child and you think, I know nothing about what it means to be a child really quickly. Well, this child grows, they start talking, they start toddling, and you start to dream once again about having no children. <laughs> I mean, it's not that you want to get rid of them, but it's just hard. You look forward to a night where you can have a night out because it's a babysitter. You start to dream about moments where they're going to be older and not demand the same attention. And in all honesty, what can so easily happen to ladies, I think, is although when they start to feel these things, and when they start to be aware that I'm doing things to my child that I never thought I would, I'm not doing things that I know I should. What happens? Guilt. Massive guilt. And usually that guilt, whether you perceive it or not, I'm trying to help you perceive it, usually that guilt is married with condemnation. Uh, sorry, that is married with legalism. 
that sense of you've moved from understanding, I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I know that God, by His grace, sings over me because of what Jesus has done. I know that He delights in me now the same as He did before I had a child, the same as He will 20 years from now, because His grace is sufficient, and I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We move from that to think, I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus what I do as a mum alone. So if I'm doing well, I'm standing there singing, oh, I'm a beautiful person. But the majority of time when you're not doing well, you're tempted to think, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't even go to church at all. I'm just a fraud. I don't fit. Everybody else is doing amazing. It's just me. For if this church knew what I'm like at home with my child, I don't think they'd even let me through the door. What's that? It's guilt. It's legalism. It's condemnation. Ladies, I want to encourage you. Jesus Christ is in your boat to justify you. He knew exactly what you'd be like as a mum. He knew your good qualities. He knew your shockers. And when he died on the cross, he covered every single sin that you would ever commit. Every single moment where you should have done something and you didn't. Every single moment that you did do something that you shouldn't have. Every single failing. Jesus Christ covers it all. And then he says, I'm singing over you. I'm delighting in you. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone is the source of our justification. I want to encourage you then as ladies, in the midst of storms in particular, work hard. Not to start to smuggle it in works to your salvation. (coughs) That is actually all of grace. God is not looking on you as if it's X Factor or something. Mm-hmm. And saying, all right, tell me about your week as a parent. Eh, didn't make it. Don't sing this week, please. <laughs> He's saying, no, you know what? Come to the stage. Sing. You're clothed in the righteousness of my son. You've been forgiven, <coughs> redeemed. You are my child. I'm always with you. I knew what you were going to be like. That's okay. We'll deal with that. My son dealt with that in your place. So now follow me and sing to me. Because I'm singing over you because you are my child. Ladies, when Satan tempts you to despair and tells you the guilt within, upward you must look and see him there who made an end of all your sins. Guys, I don't think struggle with this as much. Why? Because we're not diligent in our parenting most of the time. It's one of the things that guys need to step up with. Laziness is profound. Ever since the fall, guys have wanted to abdicate and many men want to. Ladies don't want to abdicate. They're so diligent. But it means you're susceptible to legalism and condemnation. As you start to smuggle it in. In a way that is all of grace. Conclusion then. In putting all this together. I, I want to encourage you. The Lord himself is truly in your boat. Doesn't mean you won't face any storms. Welcome to motherhood. It's probably going to happen by the end of the day. Things are going to happen. that are just hard. But what it does mean is throughout them all, you have one who is ever present with you to uphold you, ever present with you to strengthen you, and ever present with you to justify you. So take courage and be encouraged and know that he's always in your boat. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you that you are ever present with us. And Lord, you'll never let us go. Lord, how kind you are to remind us that Our relationship with you is not 
dependent upon how well we do as a mom, how well we do as a dad, how well we do even as a Christian. Our relationship with you is dependent upon the finished work of your son. So Lord, would we delight in the reality that you are then always in our boat? And Lord, I do pray for each of the mothers in the room. Lord, would you bless them? Would they know your nearness? Lord, when they are alone, wondering if anybody sees, Lord, would you remind them that you see? And all that they're doing and giving themselves to ultimately is for the audience of one. So Lord, would they worship you as they parent? Would they delight in you as they parent? But they undergo these storms knowing these storms are for them as well to grow and to be strengthened in their faith. So Lord, would they trust you and would all glory go to you. In Jesus' name, amen.